Yes, no, hopefully you had some coffee. You're the, la the late service, so you should be awake, all right? I'm just throwing that out there. 845 was awesome this morning, so it was 10, and it is so good to see you. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Dustin Dozier, and I'm our teaching campus pastor at our Five Forks campus, and it's an honor to be here this morning. Uh, Wayne and Amy are out of town. I'm getting some uh, much-needed alone time and some time of rest, and, and so... Um, I always look forward to being with you guys and being here. It's been a great morning. And um, I just got back from vacation yesterday. And I don't know if you feel like this. Do you ever feel like after vacation, you need a vacation from the vacation? That's how I feel right now. Because um, even though at vacation, I feel like all I did was sit around and eat a lot of food. I feel like I'm like 800 pounds. But um, here's the most important thing. I'm tan. So, uh, so that's good. And it doesn't matter uh, what happens on vacation, as long as you come back with a tan, uh, it's good. So uh, I'll take a good old nap this afternoon, but man, it's so good to see you. Uh, I hope that you've had a great summer. Hard to believe, uh, especially for the students, that school is right around the corner. Some of the parents in the room, you're like, amen to that. Get them out of here. My grocery bill has been really expensive, but it has just flown by, especially with the district. Um, shortening or moving up the school year. Um, but, I mean, praise God um, that you're here this morning. Uh, we have been walking through, as a church, uh, this incredible Old Testament narrative uh, of the life of this um, guy named Daniel. This, what we see is a young man at the very beginning, um, and it's, it's an incredible story and narrative um, that we have probably heard of. Um, we often think of what we talked about last week with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with them getting thrown into the fire and all those things. Um, we often think of Daniel as being in the bottom of a pit of a lion's den and God rescuing him. Um, but I said this a couple weeks ago at our Five Forks campus that we have to be very careful about how we approach Daniel because we could come away with a skewed theology or understanding that says, you know, as long as I'm faithful to God and I do, I, I, I try my best and I'm a good person, then God will protect me no matter what. And that really isn't the story of Daniel. It's really not the story that we see in Scripture at all because what do you do with guys like Stephen in the New Testament that were committed to God, did the right thing, and was stoned to death? That oftentimes, that when we stand up for truth, and instead of compromising in a culture of compromise, when we stand up, it could cost you and me our life, our friendships, and, and other things that we might dream of. And what the beauty of Daniel is, is that here is an incredible example of a young man who lives his life not compromising, and he is living, not only surviving, but thriving in what is probably the most godless environment in all of mankind. And I, and I would beg to say and dare to say that we live in a godless society. And, and, and the world that we live in is full of chaos and confusion. So if you're a believer in the room, how do you and I really not only survive, but how do you and I thrive in this culture? You don't have to turn on the news and, and look at it very long or scroll through social media to see that our world is in, in a, a, a bunch of chaos. It's just in confusion. It has gone nuts. And it's not just, and I'll be honest, that the church can be um, hypocritical in a lot of regards that 
it's easy for us to point the finger and say, yeah, look at how all the world is living. But whether we want to agree with it or not, that the chaos of our culture influences you and me. We live in it every day. Students, you go to school every day. We go to our jobs adults every day. We interact with people every day. And so naturally we're influenced by the world and, and even though we're like, hey, I, I don't want to be, there are, there are some things that are a push and a pull effect in our lives and those things begin to creep in to the body of the church. And so what, what, what we see is there is no, it seems in the world that we live in that we've lost a standard of truth that biblical theology in God's word is, is just more suggestive or kind of good morality or at the very least more philosophical in things. And so what ends up happening is that we see Christians and believers in the world of chaos that put more weight on in who they voted for and they're identified in which party they love than they are the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. Or what we see is what carries more weight is our Enneagram number and our horoscope than the, and then God's word and how he designed us and who we are as believers. And so this chaotic world is, that, is one that Daniel is living in in Babylon. And so we, we can lean in and say, okay, how do we learn from him to see how he glorified God, how he served God, how we can serve God at our jobs and in our schools and in our homes when it's all this pressure for us, as we talked about the first week, to compromise, to be pulled in a different direction, to not stand up for truth because we're narrow-minded or, or whatever the case may be, is that how do we do that as believers in this world? And this morning... As we continue, we're going to see two things, or at least I hope you see these two things. One, we're going to see a real-life example of the fruit of Daniel's faithfulness. That because he chose not to compromise, to stand up for what was right, even in a world that was tear tearing him down and told him to do something else, that he stood for God's word, and God rewarded him by that, by what we see is some fruit in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. But what we also see this morning is both a challenging, and I'll be honest, in preparation of this, you gotta have a, a heart check this morning, both a challenging and convicting understanding of what I would say is probably the number one thing every single one of us battle. And it is, in my opinion, the number one thing that keeps us from fully um, having a relationship with Jesus. It keeps us from experiencing the life that he intended for us to have. And it, and it, keep, it keeps a, um, creates a barrier for us to have intimacy as we see other people have. And that is through the sin of pride. And whether we like it or not, we're all affected by those things. And we're going to have a front row seat to the fruit of Daniel's faithfulness and the effect of pride. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're gonna be in the Old, uh, Old Testament book of Daniel, obviously, uh, chapter four. And we'll read a few verses starting in verse four. I'll summarize some of it because it can be a little repetitive. And then we'll um, land the plane with some application and some uh, informative points through this. But while you're turning there, chapter four of Daniel, remember that the book of Daniel spans about 70 years. 
This is around the time 600 BC. King Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon, the greatest empire of the world of this time. And King Nebuchadnezzar travels to Jerusalem and besieges the capital and kicks all the Jews out, tells them to come to Babylon. They're going to love it, right? And he, he has created this incredible kingdom of beauty and have it however you wish. And, and his hope is to seduce the Jews to come and be like, man, this is amazing. This culture is awesome. It's a pagan culture. They worship multiple gods and idols. But it was one of beauty and splendor and incredible architecture and wealth. And what we see is that the book of Daniel hones in on obviously Daniel And it starts off by these other gentlemen, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And and they're teenagers. They're roughly 14, 15, 16 years old. And they're taken away from their homeland, brought to Babylon to learn the culture, to speak like the Babylonians, and to, to be like them, to be inundated with that culture. And Daniel and his friends, out of pure conviction to honor God, um, or have a conviction to honor God and to, and to fear the Lord instead of pleasing man and fearing man. And so here's where we pick up in the story. And I love this, this chapter because up to this point, Daniel's been talking. And it's almost as if we see a page ripped out of King Nebuchadnezzar's journal. It really is his testimony. Good, bad, and ugly. And that's where we pick up. So Nebuchadnezzar is speaking in verse 4. He says this. You can follow along on the screens or um, in, your, in your Bible or even on the app. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. As the teenagers say, he was chilling. All right? And as I lay, or I saw a dream, and that made me afraid. And as I lay in the bed... And the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me. And they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, they came in. And I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Now a little bit earlier... Think about this pressure. King Nebuchadnezzar shares his dream beforehand and they couldn't interpret it and so he had them all killed. So he brings more magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and all these people in to interpret the dream and they cannot do it again. So you can imagine they feel like their head's about to be on a platter. Verse eight, at last Daniel came in before me. um, He who was named Belshazzar After the name of my God, remember chapter 1, they renamed um, Daniel and, and his friends. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Can we pause there for a second? In the midst of this chaos, while Nebuchadnezzar really misdefines what it is. He sees something in Daniel that's different. He might call it the spirit of the gods, but he sees something in Daniel's life. Mind you, not only has he already taken a stand, but God protected his friends in the fiery furnace last week. He knows something is up. 
Now let me just throw this on you this morning. Do people in your life notice something different about you? Do you act like everybody else is acting? Do you talk like everybody else is talking? Do you engage in things that everybody else is engaging in? Now, I'm not saying be a hermit and put yourself in some little holy bubble and, like, and then point fingers at everybody. As Jesus said, you know, we're in the world, but not to be of the world. And so as we look at our lives, do people see something different? They might not be able to say, oh, well, he's a Christian. But is there something radically different in your life? And I would say, just on a soapbox, if you are a believer, I sure hope so. I sure hope people look at your life and they look at my life and even amidst our imperfections can say they act different than the world. They don't partake in those things. And I know that's hard in the, light, in the, in the world that we live in, but what we see is Daniel there was something different and King Nebuchadnezzar noticed it. And he called him and he said, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. And the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. So then he begins to describe this dream to Daniel. If I'm Daniel, I'm thinking, okay, I better get this right or I'm gonna die. And King Nebuchadnezzar then shares this dream that he has where he sees this tree that grows in the middle of the earth. And it's growing and becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. And it eventually reaches heaven. And it has all this abundant fruit. And there are some animals that are benefiting from the shade of this awesome tree. And they're there partaking of the fruit. But it says that in this dream, the fruit, it feeds everyone. No one goes malnourished. And so what we see is this tree, and he's articulating this to Daniel. And then he says, but then all of a sudden, out of heaven comes a holy one who comes and says, let's chop down the tree. And he chops down the tree, and there's a man on the scene who begins to eat grass, and he starts to act like a beast of the field, the dream says. And so um, Nebuchadnezzar's like, Daniel, what do you make of this dream? So we see Daniel interprets the dream. Could you imagine? It's like, oh man, I don't know how to say this, king. You're that tree, bro. (laughs) He kind of rehashes the dream, but he says, king, I hate to tell you this. You're that king or that tree. And the king, the one true king, the most high, has, is going to come down, is going to take everything away from you. And get, listen, if you go to verse 27, listen to what he says in response to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed And there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. And all this came upon uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, so there's a year time frame, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered, here's what Nebuchadnezzar said. Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of 
of my majesty. Do you see the pride? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven um, from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high, know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. He wasn't very attractive, okay? But it came. Now listen, as much as this is a story about pride, and I'll get to this at the end of the message this morning, let's read the next few verses together, because it's one of restoration. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and I praised and honored him who lives forever. His life was changed. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's a sobering, convicting story. And if you think about Nebuchadnezzar's story really is our story. Here is a guy who had it all, yet he lacked everything. And what we see is really this diagnosis and, and great example of pride. Now, I don't know about you, um, as a guy, I know the ladies in the room don't do this because you're a lot smarter than the guys in the room. But as a guy, when I get sick, uh, guys are stubborn. One, because we don't like doctors because we're sissies, all right? And two, if you're like me, guys, I'm frugal. I don't want to pay a $30 copay when I'll just cough, I'll cough my brains out for about a week and I'm good to go, all right? But when I get sick, oftentimes I go to WebMD. Are y'all guilty of doing that? You go to WebMD, you put in your symptoms, and all of a sudden you have a terminal illness and you're going to die by the end of the day. That's how it rolls. But what we see here is really a diagnosis of pride in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. He has this dream. God's pursuing him, trying to get his attention. Then Daniel interprets the dream and tells him, that's you, bro. And yet another year passes in his life where he doesn't repent or confess. And what ends up happening is it cost him his kingdom. And so what I want us to look at in these three points are really things that related to pride that we should be uh, looking at or, or thinking about in our life. The first one, the first point are symptoms of pride. Now these two things, now I have sub points because that's what pastors do, all right? We say we have three points, but there's really 12, okay? But we have, I have two subpoints, and they really work hand in hand with this when you're thinking of symptoms of pride. The first one being self-dependency. Every single one of us struggle with pride. And hence, we struggle with self-dependency. This is the kind of this belief or understanding is I got this. I don't need any help. 
I'm good. We buy into this illusion and to this lie of, hey, I, 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 I don't need anybody's help. Now, I had to learn this lesson um, of humility at a really early age, even before I became a Christian. I remember I was in fifth grade. My parents worked during the summer. Both of them were working parents. So I went to like a YMCA summer camp during the day. And so I'm in fifth grade and we're doing all these activities. And there was this kid at the camp, and he was just a big bully. He just picked on everybody. And um, believe it or not, I used to be really scrawny. And he picked on me. So I go home and I tell my parents, I'm like, you know, this kid is picking on me. I'm not really sure what to do. And I couldn't believe it. My dad was like, you just need to walk away, son. Just walk away. Be the bigger man, is what he said. And my mom said, you need to tell him that you do karate. (laughs) And which I did, okay? I was a brown belt, right? And... um. So I'm like, what? Why would I just say, just tell him. He'll be scared. And I'm like, okay. So the next day we're at summer camp. I'm like thinking to myself, I got this. I know all my patterns. You know, I know my different punches and kicks. You know, I walk in there like Chuck Norris, right? And this kid comes and he pushes me. And I was like, don't do that again. And what do you think he said? What are you going to do about it? And now my mom is really smart, but I shouldn't have listened to her. <laughs> I said, don't, you don't want to mess with me. I know karate. Woo. <laughs> I didn't do that. You know what happened? He punched me in my face. I bled in my nose and I left and I cried a little. <laughs> And I'm like, why did, I, why did I do that? You know, I fe- you know what I felt like? I felt like, have you seen the movie, uh, I forget which one it is, Indiana Jones, where he shows up and you have that Arabian sword guy and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Indiana Jones is like, just pulls out a gun and shoots him. You know, I felt like I was ill-prepared, but I had this confidence, like, I'm gonna tell him, I'm gonna tell him I'm a brown belt. He's gonna cry all the way to his mama. <laughs> you know, that didn't happen. And in our relationship with God, we kind of bow up. I got this. I don't need Jesus, I'm good, I'm self-dependent. And you know what the danger is, what we see in King Nebuchadnezzar? He built everything, he, he felt, he was like, think about this, he's, he's thinking to himself, I can't be attacked, I have the strongest army in the world. I'm never gonna go bankrupt, I am the world's bank. Who's gonna fire me? I'm the greatest king and monarch in history right now. He, could have, he, he, he just pointed to himself and he got so cocky and arrogant and prideful and began to depend on himself to say, you know what, I'll be fine. And here's the danger for you and me. When we are at that place of self-dependency, we say, you know what, I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus because there's no sin in my life. And when we recognize or we say there's no sin in our life, then there is no repentance or confession. So it shouldn't surprise us that Nebuchadnezzar went a whole year without repenting. After the year, he looks out and says, look at this kingdom. I built it for my majesty. It was all about self-dependence. And that brings me to the second kind of symptom is self-exaltation. They work hand in hand. But essentially, he's saying, I'm God. I am 
God. I built this. I made this. I determined the next steps of what's going to happen. And he put himself, Nebuchadnezzar put himself on the seat that only God should be seated on. And we, you and I, we might not say, you know what, I'm God. That's not going to come out of our mouth, or at least I hope not. But each of us have the temptation to go home, to pull into our two-car garage, to, to love life, to look at our bank accounts and retirement accounts, to straighten that diploma on the wall, to plan that next awesome family cruise or vacation, and to say, you know what? And whisper to yourself, man, this is because of my hard work. I built all this. And to totally misplace where the recognition should really go to. Should go to Jesus and go to God because he is sovereign in those things. So we see these symptoms that affect Nebuchadnezzar. They affect us. And we, we've all heard the verse that pride comes before what? The fall. So the second point are the consequences of sin or of pride. And what we see is that all sin has consequences. But right here, what ends up happening as a consequence is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom falls. Everything he worked for and imagined and dreamed was taken away from him. He was humbled. And the bottom line, I don't know where I've heard this before. I don't know if um, our teaching team said this or another pastor, I read it in a book, but we can either uh, come to God and, and uh, humbly come to God or he can humble us. And in this, God humbles Nebuchadnezzar really, really quick. And for you and me, what the, really the bottom line is, when we are struggling in pride, when we are prideful people, we will always fall. We will always fall. It might not be right away. It might look different from each of us. For each of us, and with that, think about this. When you're prideful, your marriage will fail. When you're prideful, your kids will resent you. When you're prideful, relationships and friendships, they're destroyed. When you think you have everything, think about this. We all know people who are cocky and arrogant. You don't want anything to do with them. But we can't get into the routine of just pointing fingers. We have to look at ourselves. And we have to confess. There was no confession in the king's life. It was just all about him. And so we fall. We fall hard. It affects everything about us. And so let me just plea with you before we move on to the, the, the last point. Evaluate your life right now. Really examine your life. Now, I don't think we, any of us would be like really quick say, yeah, I'm pretty prideful. Some of you might. That's how prideful you are. <laughs> I have the most pride in this whole room, <laughs> you know. But think about this. Evaluate your life and your heart. Who are you living for? What's the purpose of your life? Who sits on the throne of your heart? Is it about your kingdom and what you're building and how successful you are and how athletic your kids are and how many, what your grades look like so you can get to a great college? Or is it about serving and glorifying the Lord? 
Is it about compromising your faith? Let me just be a, a good student or a good person. They won't see that addiction and secret. They won't see those messages with my friends. They won't see how I live and, and interact at work. Man, let us be one that serve and honor the Lord. And it's a constant state of confession and repentance. Let our lives be marked by that so we do not fall. And the third point will end on an encouraging note, because I know this is hard, is the cure for pride. The cure for pride. What we see in this restoration of King Nebuchadnezzar once he's humbled and everything is taken away, I, I sure hope that for you and I, our lives don't have to get to that point where in order for us to really worship God, there has to be a tragedy that takes place or something to get our attention. But what we see, King Nebuchadnezzar, a couple things that we see is one, for you and I, a cure, is that we need to acknowledge that God is God and you and I are not. There is a God and you and I are not him. I love what Nebuchadnezzar says. He said, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. It's almost my mission, my purpose returned to me and I blessed the most high and I praised and honored him who lives forever. He understood at this point who God is. He's sovereign, he's in control. He's the one that sits above them all. What we just saying, he is the name. He's the only name. He recognized that, that God the Most High lives forever. I love that. You and I are only temporary on this earth. But let us live our lives that say, you know what? I'm gonna lift my eyes to God and realize he's God and I'm not. Another cure is that we understand that we are not as good as we think we are. I think this is a trap, especially one of comparison in our lives where it's very easy to say, I'm a pretty good person. I don't need Jesus or, you know, I'm not as bad as that person over there. Man, we're all bad. Without Jesus, we're all separated from God. I don't care how you grew up. I don't care how bad your sin is or how bad your sin isn't. Sin is bad and we're all sinners. And we, we can't think that we are better than what we actually are. So for us to humble ourselves and to say, and I love what the king says. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. You and I are nobodies. Our life is like a vapor. Let us not try to put ourselves on a seat that only God should be on. And here's the third thing. And this is really the starting place is you surrender. You look to Jesus. Lift up your eyes to the one that saves. The one who is the greatest example of humility as God's son came to this earth, humbled himself to become a servant. I love how, what he says, what Mark writes in Mark 10, 45, that Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He gave his life for you. The least that you could do is give your life for him. So for us to surrender, we're all prideful people. Don't, don't leave here and be like, I'm, I, that, that, that message didn't apply to me. You're being prideful. <laughs> it applies to all of us. There are things in our life that we need to give. We need to surrender. For some of you, that's your life. 
you've never given your life to Jesus. And this morning you have an opportunity to do that, to say, you know what, I've been living for me, Dustin. There's never been a part, a point in my life where I said, you know what, it needs to be for Jesus. And I recognize he's my savior, died for my sins, and I need to ask for forgiveness and just surrender to him. I mean, I would love to talk to you this morning about that. Some of you, you've made that decision, but pride has crept in. And there's things that you're prideful about. Maybe it's what, you know, what you wear, what you look, look like, how you live your life. There's things that you're holding on to that you need to give to God this morning. Let me invite you to use this as an altar, to come forward and confess, to do something that King Nebuchadnezzar didn't do. To lift up your eyes to Jesus and to say, God, you are everything. You are God and I am not. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for who you are that we're able to come to you face to face before the creator of all things and to simply confess. And if we're really honest this morning, that's hard to do. Maybe it's shame or guilt. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's pride. But Father, I pray that in this moment your spirit is speaking. We know what's in our hearts, how you're stirring and showing and exposing and convicting the things that we need to give to you, the things that we are holding on to that we're prideful about. So Father, I pray that as the, the band leads us in this time of response, let our worship be one of confession. One that just surrenders to you. And for the person that's here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray for great boldness in the same way that your Holy Spirit would empower them to come forward and speak to one of the pastors and say, I wanna give my life to Christ. I've been living for me. It's all about me and my kingdom and I'm ready for things to change in my life. God, let us respond to you this morning. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's respond to Jesus.